Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. All right. Good to be with you this morning. I have to wait for my countdown to go perfectly down. I um, want to greet all of you who are worshiping with us online. If we haven't met, I'm Chip Freed, the lead teaching pastor here. So glad to be together, uh, to be together in person, those here and um, many of you online. We're in a teaching series called Easter on the Margins. Um, And we're looking at Luke's gospel where Luke tells us that Jesus goes to some very unlikely places with some very unlikely people. And it's kind of a warning in some ways, if you would, to the people who are sure they're somebodies. If you're sure you're somebody, Jesus said, don't, don't read your own press clippings. Don't get too tied up into that because you may find out that you're really nobody standing at the door and knocking. And to those of you who feel that the world has made you feel like you're nobody, know that in God's eyes, in my eyes, you're somebody. And, and we've, we've seen this pattern over and over again in Luke's gospel. And today we come to a very popular 21st century topic, demon possession right? God for the demon-possessed. We've looked at God last week, Caleb did with the prodigals, uh, Scott the week before uh, Easter comes to the sick and those who are considered lepers. And today, uh, Jesus goes to maybe the most unlikely person in the entire New Testament, Uh, a man who's demon-possessed. In fact, when he asked, you know, his name, he says, my name is Legion. Now, that had uh, a, a term in that day and age, Roman legions ruled the land. By the time of Julius Caesar, I think the Roman legions were about 6,500 people. When they first started off, there were like 2,500 people. So scholars are guessing they're probably around 4,000, 4,500 people. Legions had just recently, when Mark wrote his gospel, um, just recently, maybe a couple decades before, stormed into Jerusalem and burned the city to the ground. So that name Legion had some, had some meat to it, if you would, in that day and age. This is a rough moment, and it's in rough territory. If you read this story, it's Jesus leaves the land of the covenant. He leaves Israel. He goes across uh, the Sea of Galilee to what's called Gersenes. It was a place of the Decapolis. It was known as Ten Cities. And it was absolutely Gentile territory. Jews did not go across the Sea of Galilee to the Gersenes. That's why, you know, some people feel like on the way there, each gospel writer tells us a storm picked up, um, that the disciples were terrified for their lives, and Jesus was bringing turbulence into their lives, uh, going places they had never dreamed they would go. And, And each gospel writer tells this story, each one. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospel writers, they all tell it, which literary critics tell us when each one of the synoptics, or even if John jumps in and becomes the fourth one, and they all tell the same story, it's pretty important. 
And, and, and you don't get a lot of that. You get like the feeding of the 5,000, everybody told, uh, the parable of the sower that sold seeds, everybody so, uh, told, and this one with this demon-possessed man named Legion. In fact, Mark, if you read Mark, Luke tells in chapter 8 what Theron read for us. Matthew tells it in chapter 8. Mark tells it in chapter 5, and he takes 20 verses to tell it. Now, why that's significant is Mark is the shortest gospel writer. His gospel's like 15 and a half chapters. So whenever I have people that are kind of new to faith or new to church, and they say, hey, I'd like to read the Bible. Where should I start? I always say, read Mark. And there's no great strategic reason for that, except I figure they might get through 15 and a half chapters and feel a sense of accomplishment and then be moved to read more. Um, it's the shortest, it's the quickest. So when Mark takes 20 verses to tell us about this story, there's something really significant in this story. And uh, I, whenever I go to the Holy Lands, um, I've gone five times, some of you have traveled with me to Israel, this location is well documented. It's in a region called Kursi now, K-U-R-S-I. It was the region of the Gersenes. They've excavated a cemetery, and there's only one cemetery in any of these towns, usually cemeteries and sources of water. If you find those in a region, you're really in biblically accurate territory because they didn't have multiple cemeteries or multiple water sources. And there's a, there's a cemetery way up on the high hills. Um, nobody's allowed to go there. Uh, it's off the path of the guides. You will be shocked to have some of you knowing me for as many years as you have, that back in 1995 when I was in pretty decent shape, I snuck away from the tour group and hiked my way up to that cemetery. But it's a beautiful spot. You look down over the Sea of Galilee, and I've always thought, my gosh, when my life has been torn to pieces, when I've been possessed by voices that I ought not to have listened to, I can almost see Jesus coming up from that boat in the Sea of Galilee and coming up to rescue me. It's an important story. Um, and we're going to have to get over our little uh, issues with demon possession and all that. I'm going to talk about that because I think one of the reasons each of the gospel writers tell us a story is they want to emphasize the reality of evil in the world. There is a reality of evil. And just like we're physical and emotional and psychological and spiritual beings, evil's multidimensional. It shows up in all kinds of different ways. And, and they want to say that there is demonic evil in the world. There are things, spirits of the age, um, uh, that, that you can't explain along physical, psychological lines. In fact, if we could throw that slide up there, um, we sometimes say that, uh, you know, the demons in the Bible, they were superstitious back then. They were first century people. They didn't understand mental illness. And some of that's true and accurate. But when you read Matthew 4.24, it's very interesting. It's not like they weren't aware that there were other conditions. It says, they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics, and he cured them all. The gospel writers want to say to us there's a spiritual component to evil, just like there's a spiritual power for good. I uh, learned that a few, it was a couple years ago in this service right here, there was a woman, I got her permission to tell this, 
uh, she was overcome with a neurological disease that was highly rare. And she was absolutely terrified. Um, and her doctor was also a member of this congregation. So she was going to her doctor and they were providing this uh, unique care here in the area for this disease. But she said, Chip, I was overcome with irrational fear. I couldn't sleep. I could, I, you know, I, was, I had anxiety going through the roof. I was you know, checking the internet too many times, couldn't find enough answers. And she said, our doctor, who's maybe here today, you may know the story, but if you're not, I know this person's a deep person of faith, but she struck me because she said, my doctor became my exorcist. That's what she said to me. I thought, wow, okay, tell me more. <laughs> Maybe he's doing some things up the hospital. I need to go check on you. Know, I don't know what's up. But she, she said, no, she said, I've been going through this treatment. I've been so overcome with irrational fear. One day I went in the office and he said to me, listen, I need you to pray. I need you to pray. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to pray for you. But I need you to pray every day during the week because we're not gonna be effective treating you if we didn't get through this fear. Our, our process is not gonna work. And she said they prayed in that office. She began to pray daily during the week. They prayed together every time she would have a hospital visit. And she said, my fears went away. And the treatment began to work. Um, and the doctor became her exorcist. Now, I've had a conversation with that individual and I, I shared with that and we had a, a good talk about, but here's what I respect. Somebody who's very scientifically trained, somebody who's, you know, has gone through all the education, understands the healing process, understands, you know, medications and all of these things are needed, and yet also knows that there's a place where we stop and God starts. And, and, and bring prayer in these pieces into treatment, into care against irrational fear against the voices that were plaguing um, Legion. There was a, a writer at Columbia University, his name was Andrew Delbanco, and Andrew Delbanco wrote a book years ago called The Death of Satan. And what he was saying is, he says, modern people, we've lost our belief in what we call transcendent evil. He said, that's not good for us. Because when we do that, he said, we, we create a gulf, G-U-L-F, a gulf, between the atrocities of evil that we see and our intellectual resources for dealing with them. In other words, if we're gonna simply treat evil uh, with human understanding or, or human resources or education or sociology, there are some places where that runs out. He, and Devonka wrote in his book, he said, look, my family were all Eastern European Jews who endured the Holocaust. I lost family members in the Holocaust. He says, so how do we, how do we uh, explain the Holocaust? Was it just all the Nazis were, had bad parenting? Was it they just had poor self-esteem? No love in their lives? He said, there's a transcendent na nature to evil. And if we simply try to stand up against it without the resources of prayer and faith and worship, Legion reminds us we will be defeated. There will be voices that will come in that we need God to cast out. Here's the, the truth, friends. We don't just need, we have, they said Jesus is a wonderful counselor, but we just don't need more education. We need a savior. We need someone who can, 
There are habits we have that we can't fix without God's help. There are fears and phobias we can't face without God's help. There, we, we're driven sometimes deep internally in ways we don't even understand. There are chains that we cannot break without God's help. That's the first reason I think the gospel writers put this story in front of us uh, so clearly in all of their writings. So that's the power of evil that we can't ignore, that we need God's help in facing it. The second thing is, I, look at the pattern of evil. Look what happens. We see the how evil operates in this man's life. Do you notice he's getting more and more powerful? He, he's, he is. He's becoming the Hulk, right? No one can restrain him. No chains can hold him, right? Nobody can bind him. But the stronger he got, the weaker he became. He's howling through the night, Mark tells us. He's cutting himself with stones. The stronger he got, the weaker he became. The more ceilings he broke through, the more he hated himself. And see, this is how evil always operates. It'll promise you something with one hand and take away two with the other. He became, he, this man started becoming stronger. His strength in, is increasing in areas that don't really count. And he's decreasing in areas that do. And you say, okay, Chip, well, I've never had a thousand spirits of me and been naked in a cemetery cutting myself. Good for you. I haven't either, right? But here's the deal. If we don't surrender to the Lordship of Christ, we're going to surrender to something else. Becky Pippard wrote one time, whatever you seek the most in life will become your Lord. I want you to hear that. Whatever you seek the most in life will become your Lord. It is unavoidable, she writes. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people that he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We're ultimately controlled by the Lord of our lives. And if that is not the Lord God of the universe, whose love and grace and forgiveness we've seen in Jesus Christ, it's going to be something that will ultimately take away our freedom. It will rob us of our joy. If something else is at the center of our lives, we'll be cutting ourselves in subliminal ways, always beating ourselves up, always wondering if we measure up, all right? There'll be that anxiety deep down in us. And as my mentor used to say, always say to me, if you don't deal with Jesus, you're certainly going to be dealing with the devil. <laughs> because you can say a lot. My pastor used to say this to me. He said, you know, remember Job? When God said to Satan, hey, what have you been doing? He said, I've been walking to and fro and going up and down the earth. And my pastor said to me, you can say a lot of things about Satan, but he ain't lazy. He is an opportunist. He departed from Jesus at the temptation and said, until an opportune time. And there are voices uh, that come at us, right? There are voices that we hear in our lives. And I hate when it said no one could restrain him anymore. It meant he just continued to get worse. You know, and as we, we, we start making room for negative voices, voices that are counter to Christ, they, evil grows. When he says to him, what's your name? He says, my name's Legion. I almost feel the guy saying, there's so many of me, I don't even know who I am anymore. And that's what evil does to us, right? Um, and do you notice, I, I wrote this in my notes, demons like to negotiate. They're like evil car salespeople. They're really good at it. 
But they really are. Do you notice they go up to Jesus, they start negotiating. Hey, uh, can, you, can you put us in those pigs over there? We don't want to go into the abyss, all these things. And there are voices that come into our lives that negotiate with us and try to make us compromise our integrity. If you're honest, you know that's true. Voices that come in and try to neutralize the impact that you might make for God. Voices that come in and try to suck the life out of you and rob you from your joy. That's the voice of demons. Voices that seek to enslave you and get you doing things that, that takes life away from you and away from those you love. Voices that seek to fill you with fear and anxiety, just like my sister I was sharing about here. You ever, you know, you know spiritual warfare, the devil knows about spiritual warfare. So anything that's taught in earthly warfare, I'm sure he knows about like divide and conquer. Hello, right? That's the prime one today. Have you ever heard of um, uh, psyops in the military? It's psychological operations. Have you heard that? That there's a psychological warfare that's played on us? You don't think, you know, the voice of evil knows that one too? Some people said that psychological warfare was created by Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great once was retreating from a massive army that had him outnumbered. So he went to his armorers, the guys that built the armors, and he had them build some helmets and breastplates that could only be worn by people seven to eight feet tall. And he would leave them behind as he was retreating. And when the enemy saw these breastplates and these helmets and said, ooh, those guys are really tall. We don't want, they lost their will to fight. You don't think you've had voices sometimes that try to rob you of your will to fight, of your will to fight for what is right, what is just, what is true. These voices will lead us to self-destructive practices and patterns. This is a big one. These voices will try to convince you that there's no hope and life will always be as bleak for you as it is right now and will never get better. When you're in a valley, that voice will come. I always think about um, Joseph. You know, he was, he was the one that was going to be great. He had all these visions of greatness. Joseph and his 12 brothers. Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, if you haven't read Genesis 50. Um, but Joseph, who had all these dreams, right? And because uh, he was arrogant and young, he told his brothers about it, which wasn't the smartest thing to do. Hey, guys, someday you're going to be kissing my feet. Um, so they stuffed him down a hole. They stuffed him in a cistern before they sold him in slavery. I always visioned, you know, when he was down in that hole, the voice of evil had to come upon him and say, hey, wait a minute, Joseph. I thought you were going to be great. I thought God had plans for your life. What are you doing down here in this cistern? Here's my message to you. When that voice comes to you to tell you there's no hope, things are going to get better, take it from me, take it from Joseph. Don't die in the hole. Hang on to the hope that God brings in Jesus Christ. When these voices lead to addiction, these voices, here's the big one in our world right now. These voices invite you to hold on to hate. Hold on with both hands and don't let go. And these voices can do like it did to this man. Our translation this morning said he would break and get away, even people trying to help him, and would drive him into the wilds. What that literally means in the Greek, it would drive him into a solitary place. 
Do you know one of the devil one things he wants to do with you is just get you alone? Get you away from people who can help you. Get you away from people who can encourage you. Get you away from participation in Christ's church. This was God's idea for how we get well together in small group and through prayer and through worship and all these things. And the enemy will do whatever he can to get you in a solitary place. When he wants to get at me, you know who he pulls me away from the most? Hanging out with my best friend, my wife. Because he knows she has a power to go and to speak life into me where he only wants to speak death. We have to understand, uh, Jesus, when he asked Legion, what is your name? He was inviting us to name our demons. If you can name your demons, that's a start for fighting back against the negative voices. We all have them. They're all there. And in the ancient times, if you could name something, a deity, you had power over that. That's why... When Moses says to God at the burning bush, what's your name? I need to know who you are to go to Pharaoh. Uh, God says, no, you don't name me. <laughs> I name you. I am what I am. But when Jesus asked for the name and the man could name it, he began to take power over, over it. And, and, and he began to be able to find healing by naming that and getting close to Jesus. Okay, so you guys are so excited today at the reality evil and the pattern of the demonic that are oppressing your life. So let me bring the good news to you. Point three, it's the power of grace. See, I love this story, how it goes. We need to understand the condition that this man is in. But he goes to Jesus. In fact, I used to say, you heard me even say, I sit up on the mountain, I think of Jesus coming to me. The truth is, in this story, Jesus didn't get, get to the man, the man got to him. And when he goes to Jesus, now there were countless exorcisms in that day and age. Not, not all that many in the Bible. There are a few. But if you read Egyptian history or literature, there's all kind of exorcisms. And there was a pattern throughout the ancient world of how you did an exorcism. And the way to do an exorcism is you go up and you name, in the name of the Most High God, you call upon the higher power and you exorcise that uh, you know, demonic JV member over there, right? Do you notice Jesus never says a word? The demons go out and they're the ones calling on the most high God. And they're the ones saying, we beg you, don't torment us. It's like they're trying to exercise him. It's, it's what my dad would call bass backwards. You'll figure that out when you get home. And they're trying to, they're trying to exercise Jesus. Uh, they're adjuring him. Don't, don't do this to us. Don't torment us. And Jesus never rolls up his sleeves. He never raises his voice. He handles this exorcism as calmly as he had handled the storm at the sea before he arrived on the land. Just saying, peace be still. And it reminds us that Jesus doesn't have to call on a higher power. Because Jesus is the higher power. Jesus is power himself, Right? He's he, a legion of demons beat, meets Jesus there on the shoreline, and it's no contest. It's not a fair fight. And when you're plagued by those voices, if you listen for his voice amongst the others, it will dispel the darkness. The darkness, do you notice how they're terrified when they come to Jesus? He hasn't said anything. And they're terrified. Read your scriptures. Anytime there's the presence of the demonic, they're always trembling and screaming when Jesus shows up. And they'll do the same thing in your life. So what's the pattern for healing? We see this man, he looks, 
and he sees who Jesus really is. He's, he's heard of his claims. And he runs to him, Mark tells us. He runs to He comes to Jesus a lot different than the religious people do. A lot different than the Pharisee. Last week, Caleb talked about the Pharisee, right? The Pharisee didn't go to see Jesus. He invited Jesus into his home. Hey, I'm something. I'm somebody. Why don't you come be my personal assistant and work for me? But this man knows, no, I work for him. And he goes and he falls at his feet, which is the posture of worship. And he begins to find healing in his life right? He, but he's got two things. He's attracted to Jesus, and he's terrified of Jesus. That's not a bad place to be if you're new to faith in Christ. Let me tell you, you know, it says to fear God's the beginning of knowledge. We should be utterly attracted to Christ. Um, I had somebody here that I baptized several years ago that they were coming and said, I don't really want to believe this, but every time you talk about this Jesus, I'm attracted to him, right? We should be attracted to him and a little afraid. <laughs> Healthy dose of fear, right? So if you're finding yourself in those places, let me tell you, you're in a much better place than people who take him casually and let him into some parts of our lives and call on him when we really need him. But this man is afraid of, of, of Jesus, but he doesn't understand yet, but he will in a minute. The power of grace. I remember when I was leaving the corporate arena and going into ministry, I had somebody very, very close to me who was in my wedding. We were, we were really close friends, and he literally thought I had lost my mind. He just, he didn't understand it. He's like, how could you, I mean, you're a CEO at 24, 25. I mean, what are you doing? You're going to go be a minister? Are you nuts? Are you going to be drinking Kool-Aid with Terry down in Ghana? He actually said that to me. I was, I was like, I might drink Kool-Aid. I won't be in Ghana. Um, but, you know, and, and he, was, he was really struggling with it. And we had, we had conversation after conversation, and I love him to this day. Um, but I remember then one time I just went for it, and I said, I said, have you ever thought about the love of God? And he looked at me and he said, well, let's hope the love of God puts food on your table. Whose voice was that? That wasn't the voice of Jesus. And I got a little terrified, but I didn't have to be because the closer I've gotten to Christ through these years, uh, Jesus is not in the torment business, right? She's, don't torment me, don't torture me. And he found out Jesus is not in the torment business. Um, but he does look at you and I and see us as great value. What does Peter say? He found out he was God's precious possession. And he knew he had blown it many times over. Have you ever wondered, what's the deal with the pigs, Chip? What's the deal with the pigs, right? Um, there's so much going on there, and I'm not going to dig deep. And as some people say, it's an image of the Exodus where, you know, Pharaoh was drowned in the seas. Some say it was, you know, pigs were ritually unclean. Um, you know, uh, others say uh, the, the demons wanted to hide out in the pigs and jump back in the man, and Jesus wasn't having it. Irregardless, what the best for me is I think biblically is what happens after the, after the miracle. The owners of the pigs come out, right? The, the corporations, you know, uh, pig economics of Gersenes. And they come out, and what are they upset about? 
See, I would think they'd come out and they'd see this man, this crazy man. We know him to be nuts. Everybody in the area knew about him. He shrieks all night. He cuts himself. He lives up in the cemetery. We're a little afraid of him. We keep trying to chain him. He keeps breaking free. And they go out there and see him sitting in his right mind. What should the reaction have been? Wow, Jesus, you are really something. Like, this is great. We got more sick people in our town. Can you hang out with us? The saddest part of this story is they all begged him to leave. Because what were they concerned about? The wealth. Those pigs represented wealth. And they basically were saying to Jesus, Jesus, you're too expensive for us. You'll cost us too much. Right? But Jesus says, what is wealth compared to one rescued soul? You remember what he says in Mark 8? What does it profit you to gain the entire world and lose your soul? If you don't hear that and understand of how much value you are to God, you're not listening to the story. And at the end of the story, at the end of the gospel, guess what? Jesus and this man are going to change places. Jesus is the one who's stripped of his clothing. Jesus is the one who's crying out on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus is the one driven into the tombs. And when you see how far he'll go for one man like this and one person like me and one daughter or son of God like you, that ought to move us someplace. That ought to dispel the fears. That ought to help us to resist the voices. And show us that the problem finally is not everything out there. See, the the Jewish people thought that their problem was all the Romans. They're the problem. You know what they called the Romans? Pigs. They were unclean. And Jesus didn't lift a sword because if he had done that and he freed them from Rome, they'd have a little bit political liberation for a couple of years. But he shows in that moment that the real problem is not out there. It's in here. And I want to deliver you and give you freedom even from death itself. And two last slides, I'm done. One, I love this image of these verbs at the very end, that he's sitting, he's clothed, and he's sane. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus, a new master. He's now clothed. See, the old master wants to strip you bare, wants to make you afraid, wants to make you nervous all the time. Jesus wants to clothe you in his grace and in his love. And he's saying he's closed in his right mind. He has a whole new life with a whole new mission because Jesus is a God who goes to the margins. Last verse, I got seven seconds, I'm gonna use them. Last verse of that passage, this caught me this morning. I don't often rewrite sermons in the morning, but this caught me, I had to make it my little PS for the day because after the man is healed, he goes to Jesus and he wants to be with him, remember? And Jesus says, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. See, Luke wants to tell us, when you see the face of Jesus, you've seen the face of God. And Jesus shows us that our God is a God who will leave the land, go across the sea, go into unclean places, to reach one most unlikely person and cast out the evil spirits in his life so that he could be made whole. And if he'll do it for him, he'll do it for you. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, um, thank you for rescue stories. Thank you for 
coming out on the margins when we feel marginalized or we feel broken inside, even though we're hiding it behind smiles on our faces, you know. And you come to dispel those voices that would tear us down, for you seek to build us up. You tear up against those voices that would hurt us because you seek to heal us. We're valuable to you. Look how far you went for this one person. And the truth is you've done that for all of us, Lord. You didn't just leave the land of Israel. You land, left the land of the kingdom of heaven and came down into an unclean world to rescue us from unclean voices and unclean thoughts and the evil that surrounds us so that we would always be safe with you, that one day you could come and end evil forever without ending us. That's the power of your grace. Help us to hold tight to it, Lord, especially when the negative voices come. We ask it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.